me this evening in Daniel chapter 9. If you're not there already, Daniel chapter 9. My clicker is not working. There we go. Daniel chapter 9. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, we come boldly in Christ alone, and yet we come humbly and recognize that you are our Father in heaven. We recognize the unique opportunity that we have in Christ to come boldly before you, and yet we recognize your great power as the Lord of the universe, as God, creator, and sustainer. We recognize that you alone are worthy of all worship and praise. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, as we turn our attention to the word of God, we pray that the Spirit would work through the word that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. Heavenly Father, give us a passion and a burden for prayer this evening as we look at this passage, as we see this model prayer of Daniel. May we be encouraged to pour out our hearts before you, our God, who loves us and cares for us, who hears our prayers and who acts for our good. May you be honored in all that is said and done in this hour. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to Daniel 9, these first 19 verses, we find here really is a model prayer. It's as if we're being taught how to pray by a man who has made a practice throughout his whole life of prayer. And as we look at, at this chapter, these verses, as we, as we watch Daniel pour out his heart to God, before we even jump into it, I think we need to pause and we need to ask ourselves, why is it that we don't value prayer? Why is it that when we come to a passage like this, when we focus on prayer, that, that we're all burdened? We know we need to pray more. Why is it that our Wednesday prayer meetings are the least attended service of the week? Why is it that we hate to pray? That might seem like a strong way to put it. We hate to pray. I think we need to be honest with ourselves. We don't value prayer. In fact, I would venture, actually, I'll, I'll let you answer this question in your own heart by yourself. If I were to announce, you know, for the next, you know, till Christmas, we're really going to focus on prayer. And so on Wednesday evenings, from the moment you get here, right at 7 o'clock through 8 o'clock, we're not going to sing, we're not going to open the Word of God. When you get here, we're going to bow and we're going to spend one whole hour in prayer. 
Do you think our prayer attendance would go up? Our Wednesday attendance would go up or down? Do you think it would be easy for you to find an excuse not to come? Why is it that prayer is so hard for us? Why is it that the thought of praying for one whole hour scares us, intimidates us, fills us with dread? Do we not understand the privilege of prayer? Do we not understand the power of prayer to come before the God of the universe? To pour out our hearts before Him in Christ alone. To call Him Father. And to know that He he hears us. Why are we so uncomfortable praying? And I'm only asking that question to you because I'm asking it to myself. I struggle. I know that the idea of praying for a full hour on Wednesday night, and it intimidates me. But it shouldn't. Prayer is a privilege. I think part of the problem is we just don't practice it. We don't practice it. We don't pray enough. We don't know what to pray or how to do it. As we come to Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19, we have an opportunity to sit under a master prayer. To listen in. On one of his prayers, as he sits before his God, and he pours out his heart. Let us not waste this opportunity. As we come to Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19 this evening, as we work our way through these verses, we'll see Daniel's posture in prayer, his perspective in prayer, and his petition in prayer. First thing we see in the first three verses is Daniel's posture. His posture in prayer. Our passage starts out with uh, a date in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. This date would be 539 B.C. Daniel, at this point, is approximately 81 years old. 539 B.C. It's the first year of Darius. He's made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. What Daniel's telling us here in these first two verses is that in this year, in 539, as Daniel looked at the word of God, as he had Jeremiah's writings, and he looks and at Jeremiah 25, verses 11 to 13, and Jeremiah 29:10, as he looks at, at these passages, he sees that Jeremiah of the Lord had prophesied that Israel, Judah, would be carried off into exile for 70 years. And as he starts to do the math, he realizes that that 70 years is almost up. In fact, it was in 605 B.C. 
We see this in Daniel 1, 1 to 2. In 605 B.C., it's the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. 605 B.C., that Daniel and several others had been first carried into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. That date, 605 B.C., might catch your attention. We mentioned that this morning. This morning, as we looked at Habakkuk, and we, we were dating Habakkuk, and we talked about how Habakkuk is, is likely sometime between 608 to 605 B.C., one of the fascinating things that, as I studied this passage this week alongside of uh, Habakkuk 1, is you have two men pouring out their heart to God on two opposite ends of Israel's exile. You have Habakkuk before, right? That's why we dated between 608 to 605, because in the book, the issue that comes up that we'll see next week is that Babylon is going to come and carry Judah off. They're going to be used of God to bring justice. And so it's before 605 B.C. So it has to be before this. Now as we come to Daniel 9, we're on the other end of that. This 70 years is up. God's justice has been poured out on his people. And so you see these two men, Habakkuk this morning, as he looks at the wickedness, and then Daniel this evening, as he looks at God's promises. So that's where we find ourselves we're at the end of this seven years, of 70 years, uh, 605 B.C., when Daniel and these others were carried off to Babylon, to 539 B.C., the date that we find ourselves now, it's, that is about 67 years. The 70 years is almost completed. And so Daniel, seeing that and doing that math in his head, pours out his heart to God. Here's the first lesson for us on prayer. Daniel's prayer is rooted in the Word of God. It's rooted in Scripture. That's where he find, that's where he starts. He doesn't say, in the first year of Darius, after I was 81 years old and I was really, really tired of being in exile, I poured out my heart to God, you know. Bring us back. What it says is I looked by the books, the numbers of the years specified by the word of the Lord. Daniel's prayer is rooted in what God has promised. That's where he starts. God, this is what you've promised. This is what I'm seeing. This is what you've promised. That's where he starts. It's grounded in God's word. Verse 3. Then I, I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Here's the second lesson that we learn on prayer. First, Daniel's prayer is, is grounded, it is rooted in Scripture. That's where he starts, the Word of God. Secondly, notice that Daniel prepares to pray. He prepares himself to pray. I set my face toward the Lord God. There's, there's purpose there. There. 
How many of our prayers begin this way? How many of our prayers do we prepare ourselves to pray? Do we set our face toward the Lord God? I think as we, as we dive into this prayer, it's important for us to keep in mind Daniel 6.10. In fact, I encourage you to turn back there with me. Daniel 6.10. It's in the middle of uh, Daniel 6, the famous chapter, Daniel in the lion's den. After these princes have made this deal with the king, Daniel knows about it, and in 6.10, this is what we see. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He knew about this new edict that anyone who prayed to any other god would be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel, knowing that, went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed, God, and, 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 prayed and gave thanks before God. Why? Why? Just because he wanted to stick it to those guys? as was his custom since early days. Because Daniel had a practice of prayer. You know, we, we, there's the phrase that people say, you know, dare to be a Daniel. Daniel wasn't a Daniel because Daniel decided in Daniel 6, I'm going to do this. Daniel was Daniel because Daniel decided back in Daniel 1, when he was a 15-year-old, even before that, when he was in Jerusalem, he decided then that he was going to be faithful. That's when he started his habit of prayer. That's when he began to pray faithful. It's because of that that Daniel is Daniel in Daniel 6. He had a habit of prayer. He was faithful in prayer. His faithfulness in, in prayer shows up in faithfulness in other areas of his life. In Daniel chapter 1, in Daniel chapter 2, there in Daniel chapter 6. His faithfulness shows up both in difficult times and in good times. As we come to Daniel 9, There's a background to this. this. This beautiful prayer of Daniel 9 is not just something that you know, comes out of nowhere. This is a man who's practiced prayer his whole life. He's a skilled prayer because he is a faithful prayer. He knows how to do this. He, he grounds his prayer, roots it in the word of God. He prepares himself to pray. He sets his face towards the Lord. Not only that, I set my face toward the Lord to make requests and supplications. How is it that he does this? How is it that he sets his face towards the Lord God? This isn't just something that he kind of, all right, I'm setting my face towards God. He prepares himself with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Prayer is not just a, a passing or quick word to Daniel. This is an undertaking. It takes preparation. 
It takes work. He roots his prayer in, in the Word of God. He's a practice prayer. He prepares to pray. Then as you come to verse 4, right? So this is Daniel's posture in prayer. His posture is that he is prepared. He sets his face towards the Lord. He begins his prayer. It flows out of the word of God. He's humble in prayer. That's what we see going into verses 4 to 15 as well. His perspective in prayer. It's a humble perspective. In fact, all throughout these verses, Daniel moves back and forth between confession and praise. Confessing the sin of, of himself and of Judah. The sin of God's people that has led them to this point. And even as he confesses sin, so he proclaims the glory of God. I pray to the Lord, my God. I made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, you are a faithful God and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. I mean, just think about that. This is a, a man in exile who has spent the vast majority of his life in exile praising his great and awesome and merciful God. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Again, this is where we find the overlap, overlap with Habakkuk from this morning. Habakkuk is, is prophesying before they go into exile. He's looking at the situation in Israel. He's looking at the violence in the streets. These people that have once again turned from God and turned to idols. And he pours out his heart before God. Where are you? Where is justice? He's passionate for the holiness of God. We find ourselves 70 years later. Daniel in exile. Praising God for his mercy. Confessing the sins that led them to this point. Oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, verse 7. But to us, shame of face as it is this day. Notice that Daniel puts none of the blame on God for this. He knows that he is in this situation, that Judah is in this situation because God is just and because they are sinners. It is they who broke the covenant. Righteousness belongs to you. You are right in what you have done, but to us, shame of face. The men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. Again, O oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings and our princes and our fathers because we have sinned against you. Your judgment is just against us. The Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. 
but we have rebelled against him. Notice how all throughout here he's mixing confession with praise of God. Even as he confesses his sin and the sin of his people, all throughout this his hope is that God is merciful. He's pouring his, ha- his heart out to a merciful and loving and great and forgiving God. A faithful God. Verse 11, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us. Again, you are just in what you have done. We're not here because you've made a mistake. We're here because we are sinners and because you are just. And at the same time, we're here and not consumed because you are merciful and you are gracious and you are loving. And even in exile, you've kept your eye on us and you know what we've been going through and you are faithful. Here, as he says, the curse, the oath written in the law of Moses, he's most likely referencing Deuteronomy 27 to 28. The blessings for, for, for keeping the covenant, curses, for disobedience, breaking of the covenant. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, that we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Your truth. Recognize there the key to success. What is it that, that Daniel desires for his people? How would they respond rightly to this? It's that they would turn from their iniquities and understand truth. That's repentance. Turn, change. That we would see your justice, that we would see our sin, that we would turn from that, and then we would understand your truth. Again, we see the overlap with Habakkuk this morning. What was the problem that as Habakkuk poured out his heart to God, what did he say? The law is powerless and justice never goes forth. They don't know your law. They don't know who you are. It's the same thing that Daniel says. What does repentance look like? Turning from and understanding the truth. Knowing who you are. Heeding that. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does. We've not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Notice again what Daniel references here. He, he, he references as God brings his people out of exile in Egypt. What a hopeful story that must have been for God's people in exile in Babylon. That must have been a story that they returned to time and time again. Look what God did. If God can bring us out of Egypt, God can bring us out of Babylon. The God who took us into Egypt brought us out. And the God who took us into Babylon will bring us out. He is faithful. 
That's Daniel's perspective. I think that's a perspective that we often lack. It's a humble perspective. It's a perspective that has a high view of God, of his holiness, of his justice. It's a perspective that knows God, his love and his mercy and his grace. It's a perspective that knowing God changes my perspective on my circumstances. You are great. You are merciful. You are gracious. You are loving. You are righteous. You are just. We are sinners. We are undeserving. Let's come to verses 16 to 19, then we have Daniel's petition. Now, 16 verses in, now he brings his petition. He started in the promises of God, the word of God, He prepared himself to pray. He had a proper perspective in prayer. He knew who he was praying to. He confesses sin. He praises the Lord. Now he brings his petition. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant, the supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. That's something we've talked about as we've worked our way through the Psalms. The idea of the Lord turning away from you or turning to. You're causing your face to shine is the idea of turning in favor towards turn in favor towards your people, your sanctuary, Jerusalem, return us. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations, the city which is called by your name. And this is what I really want you to see this this evening. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds because of your great mercies. We do not present our supplications because of our righteous deeds. Again, the humble posture, perspective of Daniel as he comes, as he brings this petition. Lord, we're not coming because we're worthy. We're not coming because we've been good in exile. We're not coming because we deserve anything. I've laid out what we deserve. We deserve shame. We are sinners. We have broken the covenant. We deserve your wrath. We don't come before you because of our righteous deeds. Even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. We deserve nothing. We come boldly because of your great mercies. Because of who you are. What hope there is in that for us, right? If we had to clean ourselves up before we could come to God, if we had to come in our own righteous deeds, we would never be able to come to God. 
Our hope is not in our righteous deeds. Our hope in salvation, our hope in prayer, our hope for eternity is in God's mercies. Daniel brings this request. He comes boldly before his God. He reminds him of his promises. Not because Daniel has been really good in exile. Because God is merciful. David's, or Daniel's petition is based on who God is and on what he has promised. It starts with God's promise. And here it ends with who God is. It's based on who God is and what he has promised. You have righteously, faithfully, and justly judged. Now gracious God, faithfully and mercifully restore. Oh Lord, hear Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. Just judge, be our merciful redeemer. Buy your people back from captivity and restore them because of who you are and because of what you've promised. Daniel's prayer is planted in God's word. It is rooted in God's character. Because Daniel recognizes that, a, that, that, that the power of prayer is not in himself. It's in the God to who he prays. This is a beautiful prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I'd encourage you to study this prayer. Model your own prayers after this. And yet the power of this prayer is not in the beautiful construction of these words. It's not in Daniel's eloquence as he puts it together. The power in this prayer is in the God to whom Daniel prays. And Daniel understands that. And that's why he starts with God's promise and he ends with God's character. Brothers and sisters, we must saturate our prayers in who God is and what he has promised. Because that is our hope. Because that is the power in our prayer. So as you come to these 19 verses, Be encouraged. Be challenged. Be reminded. Let this light a fire in you for prayer. And yet remember that the power in your prayer is in the God to who you pray. So in conclusion, application. Number one, be faithful to pray. Be faithful. You might say, well, I'm just not comfortable. I don't feel very good at it. It's it's. it's awkward. I feel like I'm repeating the same thing over and over and over. I feel like there's lots of empty spaces. I, I forget. I forget things. That's okay. 
God knows. Just pray. Just pray. Be faithful in prayer, day in and day out. Secondly, be prepared to pray. I think there is something to the fact that Daniel prepared himself to pray. This was not just on a whim. He fasted. He turned his face to the Lord by by fasting and, and, and putting on sackcloth and ashes. He prepared himself for this. Now, it doesn't necessarily look mean that you have to put on sackcloth and ashes. But prayer is an undertaking. And go into it recognizing that. Maybe preparing to pray for you looks like setting aside a specific time, clearing your calendar, even, even put it on your calendar. That, or on your calendar, your to-do list. And and that time is when you pray. You've prepared for it. As you go in, you've prepared your mind. You've turned your face to the Lord. Be prepared to pray. Be humble in prayer. Recognize who you are. What you deserve is nothing. Be humble in prayer. And yet come boldly in prayer. I think we see that even in the Lord's Prayer. That first line, our Father in heaven. There's a boldness there, is there not? Right? You, you, You go to your dad... You're you're not scared to ask your dad things. He's he's your dad. You have a unique relationship. We walked through the Lord's Prayer uh, several, a couple years ago um, on a Wednesday night. And I gave the illustration, um, you know, say that uh, you hear a knock on the door one Monday morning. You go out. The Secret Service is there. And they say, the president wants to meet with you. You'd be pretty scared, would you? You'd want to get dressed. You'd want to get ready. You'd put on a suit. You have no idea what's going on. You're overwhelmed. But now change the perspective. Change the situation. Say that the president is your dad and you live in the White House and the Secret Service knocks on your door and says, hey, the president wants to see you. There's a whole different boldness that you walk into that office, is there not? He's your dad. There's a comfortable there. There's a a boldness there. Our Father. We're coming before our Father in prayer. And yet, He's not just any Father. He's our Father in heaven. He's the God of the universe. There is a boldness, our Father, and a humility in heaven. I think we see the same thing here. Daniel is humble in prayer, and yet he is bold in his requests. Be humble as you come to prayer, and be bold as you bring your requests. Be faithful to pray. Prepare to pray. And be humble in prayer. Drench your prayers. Soak them in Scripture, in the promises that God has given us, and in the character of who God is. Just a practical uh, 
maybe point of if you say, I don't even know where to start. Praying is, is so awkward. How do, I, how, do I, how do I practice praying? How do I get good at it? One thing that I found that has helped me is uh, in, in my devotions, after I read a passage, what I do is I'll, I'll write a prayer based on the passage I've just written. Not necessarily everything in there, but, but in that passage, what is there about God in here? You're my faithful God. And in writing a prayer, I find it helps me to think through it, to be focused on, on that prayer rather than just kind of closing my eyes and doing it in my head. My mind tends to wander. Write your prayers. And then go back and read them, and you'll be encouraged, I think. Maybe not at first, but eventually you will be. I found that that helps me. You know, if you're asking, how do, I, how do I start? I want to. But how do I even start? Maybe start there. Just after you read your normal devotions, write out a short prayer based on that passage. And over time, when you've been doing that for a while, the Lord will bring those passages back to mind at opportune times to remind you that's what I've promised that's who I am whatever you do pray pray we're going to close with the song grace a song that we sang right before the message Lord as I seek your guidance for the day I find my thoughts unyielding confusion crowds my way but then when I bow to you the challenges you guide me through your promises are ever new. I claim them for today.